Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the RJK podcast. Today, I have a special guest. His name is Denis Liedo. Dennis works for Criteo as a products R&D finance partner in the Paris office. Prior to joining Criteo, Dennis has worked at Google for 11 years as a senior financial analyst covering the Europe, Middle East, and Asian markets. Throughout his 15 years of experience, Dennis has become an expert of Google products and the ads ecosystem, and his specialties include financial analysis, cost control, project management, and of course, ESG, our topic today. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. Today, we'll be exploring with Dennis the financial equation of ESG and sustainability. Dennis, welcome and very happy to have you on the podcast. I thank you, Ayman. I'm happy to be here. Uh... Here with you today, uh, just letting you know it's my first podcast, so I hope uh, people will appreciate. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Let's start with a, a very basic and obvious question. Could you please start by explaining what ESG stands for and why it's become uh, a critical part of the financial world in recent years? Uh, yes. So as you as you already mentioned, ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. Um, it's really a finance thing. Uh, that's where it's uh, been uh, uh, created and, and um, that's where people really use it and look at it. Uh, the first thing I think is to go back in time and let people know that this is not really something new. That's something that uh, started way back, I would say, at least early 20th century. You already had... Uh, finance uh, uh, funds looking at this thing and saying, oh, we want to be a bit different. We want to invest on things that are not only business, but that include some of these criteria that are more looking for the overall wealth or the uh, the future of mankind and doing things right. Okay. So that's where things uh, start for me. It's early 20th century in the US, you see the first funds, uh, but it's not something that has really spread out. Mm -hmm. um, in Europe, things start more a bit later, like I would say like in the 80s, 1980s, but again, something very niche, uh, as you've seen in a lot of different uh, businesses, like you want to differentiate yourself and you want to propose uh, to your customer something a bit different and and that way you, you can get a different uh, business. So that's also how it starts in Europe. Uh, but things start to really uh, become standardized uh, around after the, the 2000, 2010 and so on. That's where those matters really become top of mind and people start to rethink about uh, things like climate change. I think that's the main driver that out of all the uh, ESG components, like the first one, the environmental one, is the one that gets most attention. So around the, uh, the early 2000s, uh, that's when things uh, really start to take off. And uh, little by little, like uh, like the media, the press, brings all those topics uh, forward, uh, climate change being the most important one. Uh, you also have uh, things like corporate governance in there, uh, and that will make reference to things like uh, what happened to Enron, uh, this bankruptcy, and uh, and how um, we didn't detect 
these kind of issues and how important it is to have a good governance. So those all those past experience build up uh, the criteria that we will discuss later and uh, bring that to the front scene. Uh, I would say uh, Europe now is leading on this area. Um, from 2021, I think, uh, the European Commission issued an, an act uh, stating that all European funds need to report on those topics. So it's like uh, the evolution of all the financial standards. Like uh, for a long time, uh, people didn't have to report on anything. Then we decided uh, that... Uh, we need to put some uh, boundaries to the stock market and so on. And we ask everyone to publish uh, their accounts every every three months and so on. So it's a bit the same. Now in Europe, funds need to say, these are the companies we're investing uh, on. And this is the kind of uh, ESG structures or commitments that they that they make. So in Europe, uh, we have that, the, that kind of uh, regulatory framework to comply. With, uh, in the U.S. is still not the case, but uh, it's still appealing over there. You, you have uh, investors there that care about these matters, so the products come to market. So it's becoming more and more like a vanilla topic. You have more and more uh, business, as we will see later, more and more funds being uh, steered uh, in that direction. Cool. Just from my understanding, uh, you said that in Europe, there's already guidelines and a... It regulatory framework for this, but in North America, it's still not the case, correct? Yes. Okay. okay. Um, one more question. You mentioned those financial controls that happened after 2000 mm. when, you know, with the, uh, uh, with Enron and all the big financial crashes that happened after dot, the dot-com era. Is, are those controls like SOX, for example, uh, are they, are those ESG uh, guidelines or controls part of that the, the, the same initiative or that's something a bit different? I would say given that those SOX controls for instance uh, are standard are uh, mandatory that's the standard so everyone complies with them so you really don't need to score people on that because everyone has to do it uh, yes. I think that is the next level and I think we'll talk about it later but at some point I would expect all this to become the standard and everyone will do this and we won't really talk about this in the way we're doing it today it would be business as usual for everyone these are the things we have to do and we have to uh, to comply with excellent but right now it's still a bit open and and uh, i would say that optional in most cases understood okay could you elaborate on the differences between E, S, and G factors and talk a bit about the respective significance uh, of these elements in the corporate yes. uh, landscape, please? Yeah. So the, the significance depends on each each uh, individual, each corporate, each uh, fund. But uh, what I can say that in general, people care most about the E component, the environmental one. Mm -hmm. What does that include? That includes things like uh, how... Does the company use resources? How much does it pollute? Um, is it using uh, toxic products? What do they do with them? Uh, how much CO2 CO two are we uh, emitting? Uh, are we using water? What are we doing with the water we're using in our production? Are the buildings the company is using or building green? Uh, all these kind of things, okay? What kind of technologies we're using? Like, uh, are we generating... 
uh, energy, if you're comparing two energy uh, suppliers, one is uh, producing with uh, coal, the other one is producing solar energy. It's not the same, so what type of uh, um, technologies we're using. So all those components, and I would say the most uh, standardized or the, the, the one that people care the most about at the moment is the CO2 emission, but it's yeah. not only about CO2. It's about anything that is uh, environmental related, so water, air, um, toxic products, and so on. Okay, so you can say uh, nuclear uh, plants, they don't emit CO2, but there are very toxic materials in there. So they will not get such a high score on, on the environmental part as a, a solar one, for instance. And even the solar one, you need to create to build the solar panels or all the mirrors to reflect the light to the uh, to the um, central um, tower and so on. So each one will uh, be assessed on exactly what they're using and how. how. Uh, so that's the environmental part, the, the part that people care the most about. Uh, then the social, the social is uh, a bit like uh, we're French. Uh, I'm, I'm French at least. I don't know if, if, if you got the French nationality, did you? No, no. But I did my studies in France and yeah. I worked in France, so I am, I am somewhat French in right. my uh, in my education at least. I am I am French. I'm Spanish. I'm more more Spanish than French, but uh, I also have my French nationality. So yes, uh, France is the country of the. Uh, human rights, let's say, and uh, this social part, it's a lot about that, about how we treat people, uh, making sure there's e equality across the company, uh, that there is a, um, a good relationship and, and, um, and let's say, equal uh, balance of uh, forces between the employees, uh, the directors and so on. So mm -hmm. uh, also about the safety of the workplace, like, uh, I'll say like, a few hundred years ago, people didn't care about the safety in the workplace. Like you had workers uh, dying in construction, say, well, that's normal. It's, only, it's only, part of the job. Only two, uh, uh, a few uh, a few years ago, it was 10. Like, uh, that doesn't happen anymore. And I don't think that people talk about that much anymore because it's been... It's a given. Exactly. Now it's everywhere. Okay. So it's taken for granted. At the top of mind, but it's clear, clearly it's critical. Okay. But it's in there, like uh, human rights. Like, do does the company work with another country, let's say, or other companies that don't um, comply with human rights? Or you do you have suppliers, let's say, I don't know, in uh, in North Korea or uh, in China that do things that have kids working? Yeah, I don't know. But uh, if you make sure you state in your policies that. You fight against that, that whenever you have a vendor, you check for these things, you, you ask them to really prove the way they work. They don't um, have a, a child labor and these kind of things. Uh, that will give you a higher score that if you just keep doing your business, don't do anything special and uh, have deals with almost everyone. Um, okay. That's in there. Or just not working on very controversial topics or areas like uh, tobacco, let's say, alcohol, these kind of things. Yes. Uh, not very well seen. So if you work on those areas, you will have a lower score than if you don't. Okay. Okay. Um, also, the kind of uh, policies that you have internally against uh, the bias, let's say, 
uh, in when you hire uh, equal opportunity hiring exactly equal opportunity hiring or um, uh, ensuring that people um, don't uh, don't hire based from a particular background or for, from a particular race yes. or exactly so you can just say, say oh in my place in my company we erase the names of all the people we want to hire because that may give you an, an indication of where they come from what they've done and so on these are the kind of things that are uh, scored there okay that's the social part which is the less the, the least let's say discussed or the least uh, is it but in recent like, the, the first one is the environmental one then there's the corporate governance that is more critical for investors because this is really in the finance world so yeah, really investors they care a bit more about uh, how your board operates or your uh, anti-corruption or anti-bribery rules rather than just uh, ensuring that there are no buyers in your I understand what you mean so from an investor perspective you're saying that they care mostly about the the governance part rather than the yeah. The, uh, the social one, for example. Exactly. Okay. So on the corporate governance part, that's where you have a, a, like executive compensation, for instance. Are you paying your executives uh, fairly? Yes, they have these salaries, but uh, are they earning one million times the value of the lowest employee in your company? That wouldn't look very good. Or if it's yep. just a factor of 10, when you say, oh, look, it's very fair, it's very narrow uh, factor. So look at these things. How are these rules set? Is it like looking at the market benchmarks or doing some analysis and some uh, 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 statistics? How, yeah, so, how the compensation schema should work? How is it usually done? So each it's a bit like on the um, on the credit uh, scoring, like every credit company mm-hmm. we create their own score and we say this is what you need to achieve so that I give you the top grade and this is uh, what you get uh, if you are below. Okay, so I don't think there is any specific formula for all of them. Okay. They would look at, uh, for instance, for uh, uh, gender parity. It's rather easy. You say it was the 50-50 and so on, but uh, you could decide also to, uh, to balance that. I don't think you can ask for gender parity to a company uh, in the tech industry uh, where you know that out of school, only 20% of the engineers are female. So if you I understand. try to hit 50% there. So they take into consideration yeah. those nuances. Indeed. And um, and for the, for others, yes, they will probably look at what, what's the, the snapshot today of, uh, let's say, uh, workplace benefits and mm-hmm. say, oh, this is the top one company. This is the 50th percentile of what we see today, and they will probably do the uh, the scoring um, based on that. Okay. But in the end, each company does its own. So that's for the... We covered also gov- the government. So yes, yes. Uh, there are probably other uh, factors that I didn't mention, and but yes, it's pretty broad. There are no standards yet about this. Okay. Can we talk a bit about some success stories that are known in the market or case studies of companies so, that have actually, you know, integrated those ESG, ESG principles and have yes, in a way... Yes yeah. and no. Um, I'm a bit reluctant to say, oh, yes, this company is a success because they are good in ESG. 
I think that's a shortcut that is probably not totally fair. Okay. If you look at a lot of successful companies, yes, they care about ESG and they do effort and they talk about it. Uh, but is it the driver of all these other metrics, success metrics that they claim about? That's where the causality uh, effect is not clear to me. Okay. I mean, rather, I mean, rather, let's rephrase it differently. Could we consider one or two companies in in the world that are doing well ESG and that, in a way, present a template of success on ESG in particular? The yes, what people tend to agree on is that when you work on ESG, when you publish, like your, but the important thing for me in the end is that when you talk about this topics, you say where you want to go, what you want to achieve. Like uh, I was saying, uh, is an engineering company going to say, I want 50% uh, uh, um, uh, of my workforce being male and female? Probably not, because uh, it's not a reflection of really what the uh, universities can provide. So, but they can say, today I'm at 20%, probably I want to tweak 25 and Maybe in five years' time, if there are more female engineers coming out of the schools, I can push that a bit higher. Okay. okay. So they will say, that's where I want to go. I want to reduce my carbon emissions by that much. Uh, one interesting example that we both know is Google. Google yeah. has said, uh, by 2030, I want to be carbon neutral. So they want to say, my net uh, CO2 emissions are going to be zero. Okay. How do they get there? They want to. They say, I'm going to work on the actual emissions I create today, mostly through data centers, and I'm going to reduce them. I'm going to have better uh, power usage, uh, better cooling, and so on. I'm going to reduce those emissions. But I, I'm still going to emit. Yes, because all, all activities uh, create emissions. But they want to then uh, cancel those emissions through other projects, uh, through other credits that they can buy, and so on to be net zero in the end. That's a very good goal, okay? We can only say, yes, you are big. You have the financial strength to be able to go for that. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's do it. Uh, and they're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. They're doing pretty well. A big company like Google who relies on data centers, and we know that data centers emit a lot of carbon, a lot of carbons in the atmosphere, uh, and and heat, I guess. Uh, how can a company like Google usually go about reducing that emission? What can they do? Is it is it more a technological advancement? Uh, so the data center themselves, they don't emit. They don't emit. Okay. No. Fuck. Or unless most of them have uh, emergency diesel generators. So yes, there's a, a power um, blackout. Then those generators will uh, turn on and they will burn. Uh, diesel. Otherwise, they just take the power that comes through the uh, normal uh, network. So uh, normally they don't emit directly, but obviously okay. building them emits a lot and then operating them, as you were saying, emits a lot because that, that electricity that they are using, mostly for cooling, because that's the key uh, consumption. Uh, uh, it's, it's the cooling. It, it's more than the actual machines. Um, that's where they can work. And there are a lot of technologies uh, that are being deployed and tested 
to improve that. And a, a very good example is uh, Microsoft. Okay, Microsoft already started, I think, 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. They already tested uh, some underwater data centers. So like underwater, big, yeah, wow. big big tanks <laughs> that you put on the uh, on the ocean, uh, and then you you have some uh, some cable going out and. Uh, much easier to cool it when it's at let's say ten degrees uh, all the time, and you can just move the seawater around rather than uh, having it on a building. Build a building on the land and uh, just take some uh, air conditioning around. So pretty interesting. Uh, Microsoft is another company that is doing pretty well. And uh, can we say? Can we assume that most tech companies, big tech, should be doing well because of the nature of their businesses? Uh, yes, yes. So okay. uh, Google is doing pretty well. Advertising market has been pretty strong. Things have moved online. So is it ESG? I want to say, I cannot say it's ESG driving Google's success. I would say even yeah. probably I don't think it's ESG driving it, but it's, it. Co- I think it contributes. And it's a good sure. thing because those are the leaders in their industries. They are the ones that have more bandwidth and more room to, mm-hmm. ca- to kind of tackle that. And be like the examples. Like you need people to be the first movers and show everyone else how things can be done. Even if in the short term, it can be uh, it can incur a, a financial loss. Okay, so, so I, think, I think they're doing well. Uh, what I want to add is, in terms of success, what people tend to report is three things: uh, it's customer satisfaction moving up. Like when they have customers and they say, "Hey, you're working with us, but we're doing this." I'm letting you know that with your money, we improve our data centers, or we could put pollute less and so on. So those customers tend to be happier. Like I prefer to be working with someone that does that rather than someone that doesn't do it. Uh, the other thing that they tend to uh, um, report on as well is like employee engagement. Like same, I'm an employee for Google. I'm proud, I'm happy that my company is doing those efforts mm-hmm. rather than being an employee of a company that doesn't really care about that. Okay. okay, so they also tend to say that uh, employee engagement goes up, and lastly, is uh, shareholder value. Um, sometimes you see uh, there are some announcements uh, around ESG, and there is a, a reflection on the on the share price. prices. Okay, yeah. but uh, that will bring us to a topic later where I want to say that companies they try to align. ESG principles and good business. So okay. an example could be, but Microsoft hasn't uh, deployed those uh, underwater um, those underwater data centers yet. Okay, but there's a, I was reading I think very recently that uh, some Chinese uh, companies they have started to really roll out the same kind of principle in China. And uh, if you go out there and say, hey, my company is now doing this, it has a good ESG impact, but at the same time. I have less uh, less data center cost because I'm consuming less power, and I don't need to buy land anymore. I don't need to build to construct buildings and this kind of stuff. Probably you're getting a better ROI on that investment, and on top you are being uh, net positive in your in your uh, ESG uh, component. So when you ally both, that's when you get the best results. Okay, I understand. So a part of data centers, what are other areas where a company operating in the digital sector could be doing ESG initiatives like 
a part of data centers. All of them, like uh, when you look at uh, uh, the environmental uh, part, like all the supply chain, for instance, like because uh, you have companies, they also buy servers. Okay, yes. so who do I buy my servers from? Should I take uh, HP? That is a a, a better ESG uh, uh, supplier than someone else. Let's say, okay. So you can do it that way, or uh, when you look at your just your CO two emissions, like uh, my people, how do my people travel? And that I would say that part Google is pr probably not a good pupil. Uh, <laughs> internal travel. Do people need to travel that much? You and I know that Google people used to travel a lot. Uh, Cost containment. Exactly. <laughs> you do more Zoom, you read, or or uh, I was saying Zoom, but anywhere like video conferencing, you can save a lot of travel and a lot of emissions. So you can do a lot. Dennis, is data privacy part of the ESG equation in, in one area or another? I would say it can fit in there. I don't think it is a principle that any rating agency uses, but for I example, it has an impact on on people's lives. Exactly, it has an impact on the social part, right? Yes, so, for instance, if a company declares that they don't, uh, they have a clear data policy or data retention policy, versus a company that doesn't, clearly there is a difference. Exactly, on some level, indeed. Indeed. And probably more so in Europe. I think in North America, they are still, they are yet to catch up on what's happening in Europe. But in Europe with the GDPR, I guess, Indeed. and all these uh, new guidelines that are being yes. enforced in a way, uh, is there like an opportunity for ESG work or ESG improvements? Indeed. Indeed. I think you can communicate on that. And uh, I can give you an example of uh, Pideo, the company where I work now. Uh, they do a lot of retargeting. That's but that's a core business, right? Exactly. People, people, uh, people say, "Oh, it's bad. I'm being tracked, and so on." But the retail way of doing it is much better than how the rest of people, most of the the others, do, because uh, the way retail works, they track those cookies and those individuals, but they never store any data about the actual individual. It's just okay. those identifiers. So retail will not know if you're. A male, a female, old, young—they will not. They will not know. Like a lot of the other players there, uh, mm -hmm. I can mention uh, Google or or Meta, where you work within their what we call walled gardens. Mm -hmm. um, so you log in, and you've given all your information there. They know exactly who you. are. They know your age, your gender, what you liked, what you've browsed, and so on. Twitter really doesn't. So I think they can really build on that. And I think they tried, but uh, people didn't get that message that clearly. Are other pl ad platforms trying to copy what Crito is doing? Like so, being agnostic so, regarding... The is no, because cookies are going away. So it's a new world that is coming in front of True. us. Yes. And can you act, actually, uh, maybe this is a side note. Can you like briefly explain? We, we hear constantly now this, you know, this term, cookies are going away, cookies are going away, but they will be replaced by what? Exactly. So, um, I w be before getting into that, I want to say like uh, cookies are going away. Uh, that's a decision of browsers. Okay. Uh, okay. And in in also in technology, because when we move to the uh, to the mobile world, to the smartphones, uh, people mm -hmm. change the way they browsed, and they don't browse that much on the uh, web browsers anymore. 
but on the smartphones, they do it more on apps. And on apps, they didn't have cookies. So we already have to adapt in some way there. Okay. Right. But still, most of the activity was still happening on the, on the, on the web browsers. And that's where the cookie sentiment and the cookie story comes from. So cookies are a good thing in general, I would say. They help the websites keep track and they avoid asking you all the time for, for your logins and uh, to uh, get back your settings and all this kind of stuff. So uh, that's what we call first party cookies. So it's when the, the website itself like stores that information in your computer to recognize you when you're back and personalize the things for yourself. Um, that's, let's say, the good use. I don't think no, anybody, nobody um, is scared or complains about it. People were complaining about third-party cookies, which is on those same websites, it was a third party that was putting those cookies in your computer to track you also when you were going to another website and another website and really following you through the whole path. Okay. Um, is it good or bad? Personally, I think the concept is rather good. It mm -hmm. helps monitoring and adjusting things for the user, but it, if it's not used properly, yes, you can track people and it can be a bit scary. Um, then the first ones, uh, Apple said, we're going to remove them uh, because there is no value. There was no value for them there. So if they can improve uh, uh, privacy uh, for their customers, why wouldn't they do it? So it was positive PR and so on. Uh, no negative for them, so they did it. Uh, then came Firefox, Microsoft. The last one um, that was still around was uh, Google. Um, they had the largest um, a, a web browser share. I don't remember exactly how much, but I think it's around 60%. Okay. Um, so though they had a more complicated uh, call, to do them, that's why they're the last one and it's been taking so long because if they do it, like they completely kill uh, a market, let's say, and they need to find out how to replace that and they can be attacked for a monopolistic approach and anti-competitive uh, uh, behavior and this kind of stuff. In the end, they decided that it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. I still wonder if it's the only reasoning for them there. Uh, because by doing that, they also push more of the revenue, more of the uh, advertisers to those world gardens that they own. Like they keep knowledge of what you do through the browsers and they keep knowledge of what you do through the logins. So they, they, they were not that dependent on cookies. Other people were. Uh, but they made the call for one reason or the other, or maybe both of them that were good for them. Uh, they did it. Uh, at least they have been kind of open in the way that they wanted to approach it, giving solutions for new technologies to appear and giving time to test them. And is privacy and a concern in all that? Is privacy any factor that they that those companies have considered to pull out from cookies? Or it's mainly just because people are moving to apps rather than browsers? No, no. Pe People are using apps more, but browsers are still very heavily used. Okay. So it's, it's the privacy component. Okay. That is the official reason. There could be others, but okay. uh, we, we will not discuss that. 
but yes, for that privacy component, we need to find new ways of doing things. And uh, what Google is proposing, so there have been a lot of back and forth and so on, and they still need to test it next year. Um, and ideally, if, uh, if the competition authorities allow it, it will go live second half of, the, of next year. No, next year, this year already. So 2020, second half of 2024. Um, but yes, so basically they, what they were trying to prevent is that you really track an individual. Okay. Yes. Um, so they want to group them. They want to say, oh, look at, we have millions and millions of people browsing on a given website. You may have a, on a given day, a thousand people. And the, the ideas are, let's categorize these people. Let's say, um, the person that is, that has come here. I know through their browsing history, and this happens only on the browser, so it's not exported anywhere else, that the browser has categorized these people like a, a fashion lover. Okay. So you have information about already a category, let's say. Okay. Or you have an information about uh, what kind of uh, websites have been uh, visited uh, previously. News, is it sports? And with that, you can try to infer like, and give them more precise advertising that just randomly, like we do on TV, like, oh, it just, and I'm not, ra TV is not random either, but when you say I'm advertising on a, on a football game, you know that uh, not everyone there is going to be interested in uh, in men's uh, shaving machines, but uh, you know, it's mostly yeah. I have, oh, I'm doing it there. Um, so you want to be more precise. Uh, we're going to lose precision for sure. Uh, yes. How much? That's the, that's the key question. Okay. Um, and I think that's it. So there are going to be new solutions appear. That's always like uh, the game. Like people will innovate and see how this works and they will add new twists and a lot of the efforts, uh, but I'm not sure they have paid off uh, and or will pay off is that people were trying to create those uh, globally uh, common standardized identifiers so that you could, again, a bit like the critical idea of, I, I want to be able to track you, but without really knowing that you are Ayman. I see. I want to know things, but so setting up these standards, like uh, the trade desk um, was advocating for one. Uh, there are other other uh, companies as LiveRamp, like they, they have their own IDs and they probably plan to sell them in the end. Yeah. Uh, so those will happen. It's going to be an interesting uh, uh, sector uh, for sure. And then it's going to be interesting to see how things will evolve. And if we are going to move to a standardized way when it comes to, you know, privacy and uh, a guide, a unified guideline, maybe. What I know for sure is in North America, they're becoming increasingly uh, serious about privacy by copying the European model. I know that in California, for example, in yeah. the US, they are almost adopting the same yes, main lines. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not the rest of the US. In Canada, for example, here, Quebec is also trying to be more strict about data, privacy, and all that. Uh, but there is still some, I think we're a few years behind uh, what you already, what you guys already have in Europe. Okay, now let's move to a different topic uh, within. ESG for sure. And let's talk a bit about fi financial metrics in specific. So my question is, 
Does ESG investing impact traditional financial metrics like risk, return, and volatility? And are there any trade-offs that that uh, investors are are facing usually? It's it's a bit the same answer as before with the success stories. Like, with the, sorry, with the with the success stories, like uh, with the success can, stories. Okay, can you claim yes. really linked to ESG? Probably not. Uh, what I can tell you is that uh, there are these ESG funds, like. Uh, Investors say, I want to buy your fund, but only if your ESG components are of a certain degree. Um, and you can compare how those funds perform versus normal funds that don't have these requirements. Um, and then you can see that uh, for 2020, 2021, in general, ESG funds didn't perform better. Uh, okay. Lately, they seem to be. Uh, is, is, is that uh, forecasting future performance? No. Uh, but I think that at some point, uh, most of the companies, most of the funds will be ESG because there will be more requirements like in Europe. And in the end, this will become like a vanilla yes. standard and just everyone will do it. And you will not be able to compare because there will not be really anything else than uh, ESG uh, Companies, okay, okay, okay. Uh, there are criticism of EHG for sure, and one criticism is that ratings and disclosures that companies do may not be entirely accurate or transparent. So they say that some rating agencies have been accused of oversimplifying complex yeah. issues into simple scores. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, I'll come back to my previous quote about Enron. Yes. Uh, yes. Auditors were there. The company was hiding things, and for ESG, the same. Like uh, you have, you have companies that will say, "Oh, look at what we are doing on ESG," but in practice, they don't really do. So uh, they say, "Oh, look, my policy about uh, gender equality or uh, 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 equal pay. Those are my things." But until someone really good gets in there and really can see that oh, and check all that and check. It's so you can't, you can uh, always lie. I think at some point it will explode and you will see, oh, these gay, these guys were, were lying. And, uh, then, uh, little backfire. They, they will pay the, uh, the high price. But, um, I think in general, people tend to, tend to be authentic and, uh, those matters are not well. Well, in business, <laughs> we've seen yeah. so many different uh, practices. We have, but I, th I would say in general, like most companies, will really declare their their values um, and declare their goals and so on. And I don't know if I was saying earlier, but the best solution and 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 the way companies approach this at the moment, or most of them, is like, where can I find the win-win situation? Where can I invest in something that is good for my ESG PR, my ESG scores, and at the same time, it's good for business? Because in the end, what you, what investors care the most is business. Yes, so exactly. For data centers, we were talking about earlier, like investing in any kind of technology that decreases your power consumption, your building costs, and so on, it is fantastic. You, you win on both sides. Okay. But could you also lose? My question is like, sometimes could the trade-off be negative? Like, let's say, let's take the example of fuel, for example. If if we have a company that is currently using fossil fuels, 
and at a very cheap cost, asking that company to switch to non-fossil uh, to a non-fossil alternative could be very costly and could could kill the 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 the, uh, the profits. That that was my kind of initial thought when I asked you that question. A good a, a very good example is uh, is uh, say that. Um, Uh, fossil fuel company that say like uh, in France is Total or uh, Exxon, uh, these guys, it's their business. And people say, "Ah, stop selling fuel and stop drilling holes and so on. If they do it, no business at all. And also a lot of the uh, uh, mankind depends on them, at least for the short and midterm. So they just cannot do that. But they can still do things. And people people, um, shout at them and... Uh, complain about those companies existing, what they do. But when they report and say, Total, for instance, the French company, now yeah. now become Total Energy. Like they, they are refocusing themselves into the in energy world. It's not a more generic, the general term. Okay. They will invest also in solar plants, in uh, alternative energies and so on. Uh, so uh, they can do, they can still do good good things. Uh, without really completely walk, walking away of the uh, of the items that don't look very good on the on the ESG scale, at some okay. point I'm pretty sure they will. That, yes, that's yes, for sure. at some point, but it will take time. I think we don't need to be. We should not be like very drastic here and 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 force things from one day to the other. Like what these uh, uh, global conferences, uh, the the COP, uh, like, uh, it's called conference of the parties. Uh, yeah, they do uh, every every year. Like they have long timeline. This the last one. There was a lot of discussion saying, should we just ban fossil fuels? In the end, they didn't because they realize it's it's still going to be needed somewhere somehow. So be progressive. We don't want to walk out of them for the most part, but don't be saying I need to ban it today or tomorrow. Okay, and for sure it is becoming a political issue as well. Uh, we hear a lot of political and business leader that are even criticizing ESG in a way. So, for instance, Elon Musk recently said that ESG is a scam. That's his word. And he said that it has been weaponized by phony social justice warriors. What do you think about that? I think that it's not a scam. I think <laughs> For sure it isn't. But, but I think that he also, he also... Why do people say... Why do some important figures, you know, uh, ignore or or don't agree that there is global warming, for example, or that ESG is not really useful for business. Why do you think there is this mindset? So there's also the always the uh, uh, complot theory. There's always people saying... Conspiracy oh, theory. Yeah, conspiracy. I say, oh, there needs to be something weird behind all these. Um, the extremes are always bad. Uh, Elon Musk is trying to go to Mars. He wants to colonize Mars. And he knows that we need the resources that are there and that there are a lot of challenges on our planet. So I'm pretty sure he doesn't uh, think that uh, uh, global warming is a conspiracy. But if you put ESG without measure, like say, oh, I need to impose something and say everyone needs to follow that. We need to stop the fuel, fuel, fuels tomorrow. That's going to be very bad. It's like when you are very drastic and that can create a lot of, a lot of issues. And um, you need to be more progressive. So if you start talking only about these matters and you forget about your business, you're going to go back. That's the other extreme, yes. Exactly. 
Oh, I spend my time talking about how I change my uh, my uh, uh, pollution impact, like we were saying with the fuel companies. If they stop drilling tomorrow, it's the end. Like uh, their value goes down very, very rapidly. Um, so you need yeah. to be uh, progressive. Like this is a... It's going to take time and it's a gradualistic I, movement. Rather. It's good to bring it top of mind. Like I was saying, my vision is that in some years, this will not be a topic anymore because it will be standard. Everyone will be, be commonplace, be normal, and nobody will really change it. But now it's it's like oh, it's very innovative or different. But we cannot only talk about that. There are okay. the pure business, the core business, which you you need to keep thinking about it. And even I would say first core business, and then when you have a bit more room to do other things, think about these topics. And that's why these big companies, these big techs, Google's and so on, they have the uh, mute, the muscle to tackle these topics. That's why they need to be like uh, the thought leaders on this area. <laughs> or how thought, you, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt. How do you see those big companies, big tech mainly, and maybe other big players, maybe big conglomerates, how do you see them leading or changing the face of the of the ESG uh, uh, landscape in the next five to ten years? Do you think it's going to be very fast, or things are going to take more time, or on the contrary, we are on the brink of an ESG revolution? Uh, I think it's going to be very fast. I think it's right. already there for all of them. Mm -hmm. All those companies have teams dedicated to that, to thinking about that. They didn't. Sorry, they didn't have these teams like ten years, yeah, five no, or ten no, years ago. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, so now they have these dedicated teams working on these topics, trying to identify like what can we push, uh, how can we do the PR, uh, what uh, projects uh, internally, uh, how we can communicate to our employees, this kind of stuff. So they have people now dedicated that it's a cost, okay. um, but it's already there, and uh, you already see the the impact, the results, uh, how this topic has become top of mind to all the employees in those companies, to a lot of the investors, to a lot of the society in general. So I, th I don't think it's going to be a new revolution because I think the revolution is already here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just going to normalize and it's going to become the standard that we were suggesting before. And yes, people like Google have their targets in uh, six years' time. So it's not very, very far down the road. But they need to be the ones uh, showing showing the path. In order to have everyone being there, then it's not five years; it's probably uh, thirty or forty. Okay? okay, but you cannot be very strict, as I was saying. Like if you look at Europe, I think Europe is a bit playing with fire because you have Europe in the middle that cares a lot about these topics, that pushes a lot of uh, regulation about all, mm -hmm. that, all that. Uh, but then on the but, other side, but regulation is a good thing, isn't it? If it's well done, yes. And and most most of the time it's needed. But you you sh when I say it's good, well done, you should not be on the extreme. You should not really say, oh, I want to ban things from one day to the other. Okay. okay. The example of uh, um, combustion engine cars in Europe banned by twenty thirty five. Really? Yes. They will be banned by twenty thirty five. Yeah, twenty thirty five. 35. Yeah, uh, which is in 10 years. Yes, you, will, years yeah. you will not be able to go to, to the uh, oh. uh, deal, uh, to the uh, dealership and say, I want to buy a, a, an internal combustion engine car. 
no, they will not sell it anymore. Okay. So you will have to have an EV. Exactly. Uh, or a hydrogen. But, but why not Why not give the choice to people? Why? Because some people still like... I'm, yeah. I'm a bit skeptical about it. I would... I, if if I if I were them, I would not have completely banned them. But there, it's it's a very strong message. And so the whole of the European Union is going to be doing this. Exactly, there is agreement on that already. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's already signed, so people know. Okay. Um, and that's why all the uh, European manufacturers know know have, at least they have a good visibility on the timeline how they need to to to, to do things. Uh, okay. But at the same time, they may be caught uh, by the two other sides of the world or big side of the world, the US on one side and China on the other, they don't have the, those strict rules and they can adapt differently based on how, what will happen. If in the end, I don't know, things change and we find new uh, technologies to remove CO2 from the air and we see that we can keep burning fuel or uh, create um, synthetic fuels and so on and the US and China, not that much because they are not good on, on the internal combustion engine, but the U.S. would be able to switch very quickly. We, we wouldn't. Anyways, uh, that's about regulation. Uh, and I forgot what I was, what, what this was coming from. Uh, no, we were talking about, I think, you were saying that Europe is yeah, not in yeah, a very good place so, because of, of and, the... And the CO2 one, the CO2 one, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, the two bigger polluters in the world are the US and China. And they are the ones that take the smallest, not to say really no big commitments at all. And in Europe, we put ourselves a lot of stress saying we need to pollute less. Those are the new rules. We need to comply and so on. Our impact is going to be how, how, how much, what's our share probably? Uh, a fourth of what they are. Very small. So... Okay. And by pushing that so hard on us, we're creating a big disruption that maybe at some point we could have a very leading EV technology for instant industry. But so far, it doesn't seem that is the case. Like they are even probably not the US, but the Chinese are better really than Really good in EVs. Ones. Okay. Um, who knows? It's going to be an interesting sector to regulation on how hard we. We, we give that example. Mm -hmm. and, uh, we expect, I think Europe expects that by doing that thing, we step forward and we're the first ones to take all those commitments that the Chinese and the Americans will follow. But uh, so far, it's not the case. Okay. Dennis, on a more personal level, what inspired you to join this exciting intersection between finance and sustainability and ESG? So, I, I will probably answer is that nothing specific like uh, I was just in there and it came to me okay so uh, it's an interesting topic and when uh, when it comes around and those teams are created within the company and they need to work with someone in finance they are finance partner like yes to, to fund those teams and to uh, work with them on what are those projects that can be good from an ESG perspective and from a, a business one yes you're there to help them but it, it really came to me I was not uh the one pushing, saying, oh, we should do this, and uh, we should, I, I want to be the one leading it. So it came to me. It's interesting. It was an opportunity that presented. It's interesting, but uh, either way, it's probably in the future, like uh, most people will be exposed to it. Today, not that much. Uh, it's it's like, still it's rather new for, for, for yes. many people, but it will not 
become new anymore in the next few years, you're saying? Yes. Okay. Well, would you like to add anything? I think we've uh, we've covered a lot of ground today and it was a very exciting discussion uh, and we've learned a lot of things. Indeed. ESG, but would you like to end on, on something specific? On ESG... Maybe one one uh, positive thing, uh, and I think I, when I look back at uh, at the uh, hole in the ozone layer, uh, mm-hmm. when was that in the seventies, eighties? Yeah, in the eighties, nineties, it was. Yes. People used to talk a lot uh, about that. Yes, exactly. There was this hole. I say, oh, we're getting burnt. There's no the the, the sunlight is not getting filtered anymore. It's a, it's a real risk for the planet. When that happens. Uh, and you see that in the end, all countries managed to align and to agree on something. And you see like 20 years down the road or 30 years down the road that yes, it had an impact on that hole is disappearing. That gives you a good hope saying we will be able to do it again. We will be able to adapt. Um, maybe China and the US will take a bit longer to really step in, but as the problem becomes more visible and more uh, damaging for them and they see the business opportunity behind the revolution of... They will catch up. They will do it. They will step in. The problem is that they're fighting each other and no one, no, no, no one wants to step back first because it probably can give you a bit of an advantage to the other. The benefit from the old system a bit longer. But I think, I, I believe in... In mankind, and I think we'll we'll be able to uh, to solve that. For sure, I I also truly believe that the long term and general awareness about everything linked to the environment and ESG is going to prevail in the end because there is no denying uh, forests are disappearing. Mm. We do feel global warming. I mean, I live currently in Canada. Here uh, today is the first day of snow. And I used to hear stories that 20 years back, it was totally different. So there's probably something happening along the lines of global warming. And it'll take time, but for sure, I, I'm aligned with what you think as well, that eventually it's, everybody's going to catch up and, and they will try to kind of marry business and good business practices as well. All right. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Dennis. It was a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Likewise. See you soon another, for another podcast. For sure, yeah. I, I'm I'm all for uh, round two at one point. Maybe you can give us uh, later on an update on what's happening. And then... Yes, yes. yes. But that's going to take a long time. It's going to take some time. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, so probably choose another topic. <laughs> We may we have we have a we have a long list I guess that we can choose from. So thank you again, and see you very soon. Bye bye, bye.